Thank you. All three of you who polite enough to respond back. It's good to see you. I actually have grown to not expect you to say anything back, so it's all right. I've adjusted my expectations. It's good to see you. Thank you for coming. It is so nice out there tonight. I almost didn't come. So thank you for uh, making the effort to come and be here tonight. What a gorgeous day. Don't you wish it could just stay like this for about six months? I was telling someone earlier, I wish that, and then it dawned on me, I think they call that San Diego. And so, uh, but, but we would eventually miss the cool air and the snow, wouldn't we? No? <laughs> That's a mixed bag. All right. Well, listen, I, uh, we're going to receive our offering tonight if the ushers would come forward and uh, prepare to do that. Thank you for your faithfulness and giving. If you're a guest tonight, um, we don't expect you to give. Just be our guest. Uh, but we're sure glad that you're here. So, ushers, if you're ready, you can go ahead and begin to, to uh, pass the offering plates. That would, be, that would be great. Let me just communicate a couple of things to you before we dive into our teaching tonight. Um, we, as you know, if you've been a part of Wednesday nights, the Wednesday night journey, uh, as we call it, takes a break in the summertime, and we're getting close. We are two weeks away. Two weeks from tonight will be our last uh, journey night, but um, Pastor John Engel is going to lead a summer study uh, this summer. He did not do it last summer, and I think got in trouble by people who were not happy with him, and so he decided he wanted to do that again this summer. And so uh, next week, uh, Pastor John's going to come talk to us a little bit just to let you know kind of what that's going to be about. But there's actually a table in the mall if you would like more information about the summer study that's going to kick off and go through the summer. I know that Pastor John Engel is going to be in uh, the book of Hebrews. And so I hope that you will make plans on coming and continuing to learn and grow. And then we kick off again officially as the journey with all of the kids programs uh, the, the Wednesday after Labor Day. And so a couple more weeks on that. You'll hear more about that. And then uh, also just to make you aware, I don't know if you realize this or not, but tomorrow is the National Day of Prayer. And I hope that you will make time in your day to set aside uh, just some space where you can be alone with God or be with other followers of Jesus who are lifting up uh, our country to Jesus. Our country needs Jesus. And I hope that you will take seriously this call uh, that, that comes each year to pray for our nation. Incidentally, we will have our prayer room open um, all day tomorrow. If you want to come and just spend some time in prayer in our prayer room, that would be great. The, uh, it's, it was funny to me while we were uh, having baptisms tonight and, and the reaction when people stepped into the water. Because usually that water is it's like bathtub warm. It is just really comfortable. But earlier today... I was with our pastors. We spent some time in the prayer room just praying together today, as is as, as our habit to do. And uh, the door was open while we were waiting on pastors to get there. And I noticed in the hallway, uh, uh, one of our facilities, actually our, our lead facilities guy here on our staff, I noticed Sam had a, a hose and he was carrying it into the sanctuary. And uh, that was an odd sight to see. And so he was asked what he was doing and he said, I'm trying... To fix a mistake, the baptismal's cold, and so uh, apparently it didn't get much warmer. So that's good. You got to be committed if you're going to get baptized in cold water. So 
One of, uh, one of my wife's favorite movies um, is, is the movie You've Got Mail. How, how many of you ever seen the movie You've Got Mail? Okay, total chick flick, and, uh, but a cute chick flick. And uh, my, I, I cannot even tell you how many times my wife has seen You've Got Mail. Um, it, it, I don't, I'm not like that. I can't watch the same movie over and over again. It doesn't matter what movie it is. Um, I just can't watch the same movie. You know, very rarely can I watch a movie twice. But she, she literally watches it, I think, every time it comes on television. And we own the movie. She could watch it without commercials, but she still watches it on television every time it comes on. Um, but there is something kind of cool about that movie. And I, if you could help me bring the lights up a little bit on, on the house, I can't see the people very well. And, and that would help me. It would be great. Thank you. Actually, you didn't do anything yet, so... Thank you for what you're about to do. By faith, I thank you for. Um, one of the things that I like about that movie is it makes me remember back in the day. Do you remember back in the day when, when you would log on to the Internet? Back, I, I still remember when we first became part of the email Internet family, and it was all brand new. And there was something about clicking on that icon and, and it going to wherever it went out into cyberspace, and then it would begin to dial, and you could hear, it. and then it would make the most awful screeching, you know, the, that horrible noise forever, and finally that noise would go away, and you were logged on to the internet, and, and if you were lucky, what you waited for were those three great words in this inviting voice that said, you've got mail. And, and I just remember the anticipation. Now, you know, that's worn off. And now you turn on your computer and it's like, I got how many emails? But back then it was something special because that meant someone was inviting you into a conversation. And as I think about that whole scenario, a couple of weeks ago we started a series that's going to take us uh, for the next couple of weeks till we wrap up for the summer, called Inviting God. And, and while there certainly is something that we could talk about in, in the idea of us inviting God into our heart and into our life, what is really powerful and the greater, uh, maybe more amazing reality is that the God of creation actually invites you and me to know Him deeply. And that, that has just kind of overwhelmed me over the last few weeks, that God would invite us to know Him. That, that God would invite, period, is pretty incredible. I mean, when you think about this all-powerful God, I mean, we see examples throughout history of human beings who have been granted or who have assumed extreme power, absolute power, and we don't read about in the history of the world very many kings who invite Period. Kings don't invite, they demand. They command. They order people to do whatever it is that they want. And yet here is the God of the universe who chooses to invite us. And gives us the opportunity to say yes to that invitation or the opportunity to say no. But he invites us, not simply to a conversation, 
but he invites us to know him deeply and intimately. And that invitation, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, Peggy Hunt painted this wonderful picture for us. She did it live during our time of worship. And I just love this picture. And part of what she painted was this path. And I love, we, we just talked to Peggy about the idea of where we were headed. And this is what God put in her heart as her expression of worship. Are you thankful for the expressions artistically that, that we're able to have, that God has gifted people with for worship? And in the expression, she painted this path. And, and that's really kind of the journey that we go on when God invites us. If we say yes, we're saying yes to a path where we can't see all the turns and all the corners There's hidden corners, there's maybe trees and this picture of not knowing exactly where it's going to take us and where it's going to end up. We just know that it's God who invited us and that's enough. And so we say yes to this journey. And it's a journey of faith and a journey of trust. And he leads us down this pathway to truly knowing him in a more deep and intimate way. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But with an invitation, you can accept it. Or reject it. The choice, the choice is yours. So what's involved in saying yes? What does it mean to say yes? Well, the reality, I don't need to tell you this, you know that relationships are not formulaic, are they? Whether it's a relationship with God or relationships with people, that you don't just reduce them to three simple things. You do step one, step two, step three, and you'll have a wonderful, deep, intimate relationship with your spouse. Well, it doesn't work that way. And the same thing is true with God. We can't just give point one, point two, point three, and then you'll know and experience if you just do these things, an intimate, deep relationship with God. However, there, there are some things that I believe can position us to cultivate that deeper walk with Him. We've talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Charles Swindoll wrote a little book, a tiny little book, uh, years ago called Intimacy with the Almighty. And in that book, he suggests four decisions or for disciplines that help position us in a way to cultivate that deep walk and and relationship that God desires for us to have. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about the first discipline, and it was the discipline of simplicity. For most of us, to truly go deeper with God, it's going to require that we evaluate the complexity of our life, and most of us are going to need to make some hard decisions as it relates to the discipline of simplicity. Some of the enemies of simplicity that we talked about are consumption, this never-ending pursuit of stuff. We also talked about the enemy of simplicity, that is busyness. This treadmill of activity, doing, 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 and filling our lives. And we talked about envy as being an enemy of simplicity. If we're going to know God more deeply, we have to grapple with simplicity in our lives. Tonight, I want us to take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. But we're going to focus on one verse out of Psalm 46, but we can't read that one verse without reading the whole psalm. This will put it into a context for us, and and it's just such a wonderful, rich song. It's actually written to be a song, is what it is. Thank you, Troy. That's okay. I don't really need it, but that's all right. Thank you. You can have it and draw pictures of me while I speak if you get bored. So thanks, man. Psalm 46. Let's look at it together. Here's what it says. God is our refuge and strength 
an ever-present help in trouble. And I, I don't want us to read this too fast. Think about that. Think about the words the psalmist writes to describe who God is. He is our refuge. He is the place where we run to find protection and safety. He is our hiding place. It's in God. And He is our strength. In that place of refuge, we find strength to re-engage in the mission He's called us to. It says, an ever-present help in trouble. Those are key words. He's not absent. He's present. But He's not only showing up sometimes. He is ever-present. Here's another beautiful part of what it says, is that he doesn't just show up to watch. It says he's an ever-present help in trouble. So he's ever-present in our lives. And in the midst of trouble, he's available to help. Encouraging words. So look what the psalmist writes next. He says, therefore, I had a teacher in high school that used to say, when you see the word therefore, see what it's there for. That's right. You had the same teacher. Here's why it's there. He says, because of that, because God is our refuge and strength and an ever-present help in trouble, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. So the psalmist uses apocalyptic language cataclysmic language describing this cataclysmic events. And there's, there's differing opinions, we won't get into this, differing opinions as to when this was written and what they were talking about, whether it was an immediate thing that was happening to Jerusalem and the Jews at that time or the Israelites at that time, or whether it was something that was yet to come that we read about in the book of Revelation. That really is not described with apocalyptic language. These cataclysmic events, when the security, what we what view as stability, the earth itself and the mountains and the sea. When all of that is in an uproar, we still will not fear because God is our refuge and he's our strength. And he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. Then he goes on to say, contrast this picture of water foaming and roaring with another picture of water. He says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. And the interesting thing here is he uses the same word to talk about nations in uproar as he does the water that roars and foams. And so he's saying, the psalmist is saying, whether this, this uproaring and this cataclysmic event is the result of, of natural disasters, earthquakes, or whatever it may be, or whether it's the result of nations rising against nations and war and economics and all of those things. It doesn't matter because God is still our refuge and our strength. And therefore, we will not fear. Whatever the source of chaos, we will not fear. Powerful. Verse says, the Lord Almighty, and this is kind of the chorus, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. He's going to sing that part again at the end. Verse 8 says, come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And then verse 10, what we probably know this psalm best for, a familiar verse in light of all of that. 
In light of all that he's just described, then he quotes, you'll see in quotation marks, he quotes what he perceives God to be saying, and what God is saying is, be still and know that I am God. When the mountains shake and when the water foams and roars and when nations rise up against nations and when the economy collapses and when there's terrorism and all of this stuff, God says, just be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And then he sings that chorus again. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I want us to focus our thoughts there on that one verse. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but in the world in which we live now, it is absolutely filled with noise. Have you noticed we live in a noisy world? There is noise everywhere we turn. We are surrounded by constant noise. Technology has not helped us in this area. Do you remember back years ago when you were cool if you carried a boom box on your shoulder? How do you remember a boom box? You remember that? I mean, it's a, it was a big old honking radio that you kind of held up on your shoulder and you, that's how you listened to music. And then someone came along and invented the, the Walkman. How many of you owned a Walkman? The Walkman reduced the boom box to a little square about this big and, and then had headphones that you would put on your ear and they would go over the top of your head and they would put a nice little crease in your hair for the whole day. And then they had a little cute clip that would clip on your belt and you could just walk around hands free. That was a hands free version of the boom box. And then we came up with CDs and so we took the disc or the, the Walkman and we made it a Discman so it would play CDs and then somebody invented what we know as an MP3 player and music went digital and now we have an iPod and those kinds of things and you can have something about the size of your thumbnail that holds 200 songs and you plug earphones into it and you can listen to music and it is rare to see a teenager these days without headphones in their ears. Technology has created the opportunity for us to fill our head with noise 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have noise everywhere we turn, everywhere we go. There's just this continual swirling. Now last week we used a little snow globe that you couldn't see. So we have a makeshift snow globe here that I'm just going to stir up like a pot of soup. Our life becomes like this. Can you see that? Yeah, you can see that. With noise, it just swirls around our heads. And there's this constant barrage of noise in our lives. From media, from billboards that are filled with words. There's just this constant barrage. And it, and it goes through our minds and it fills our minds. And, and tonight what I want to talk to you about for the remaining minutes that we have. Is that in the midst of all of that, God says, be still. And know that I am God. And it's when we let all of that begin to settle, that clarity begins to come. I want to talk about that clarity that comes in the stillness. When we make a conscious decision to be disciplined about moments of stillness and silence in our lives. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about the discipline of silence. Thomas Merton said this, I think the quote will be on your screen, he said, he said, the deepest level of communication is not communication, but communion. 
It is wordless. It is beyond words and beyond speech. It's communion. So tonight I want to focus our thoughts on that one verse we just read from Psalm 46, verse 10, that says, Be still and know that I am God. I want to begin with those first two words, be still. If you're taking notes in your outline, you'll notice there's just space. And so you don't have any fill in the blanks, so that's available to you if I should happen to say anything that's worth writing down. All right? So be still. The first thing I notice when I read that those words, be still, is that it says be still, not do still. It doesn't say do still, because stillness is not something we do. Stillness is something we must become. We become still. God says be still. Now, I don't know about you, but doing is much easier for me than being. If it was doing, I would be all over it. Because when I get stuck in my life, when I'm not sure where to turn, when I don't know where to go, my first thought is, well, what do I need to do? Somebody just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. I'm convinced I can do it if you just tell me what it is. Give me the three steps that I need to take. Do I need to read a book? Do I need to go to a class? Should I go to a seminar? Do I need to work more hours? Do I need to work harder? Do I need to work differently? What do I need to do? You just tell me and I'll do it. And we approach our relationship with God the same way sometimes with this idea. Just give me the three steps. I need to know God deeply and intimately and I will do those three steps. And it's as though God says, you know, it's really not about you doing as much as it's about you becoming. And the thing you need to become first, if you're going to know me deeply, is still. Just be still. That's what God calls us to do. See, the path to knowing God more deeply takes you to stillness, to silence. Nothing could be more difficult for a doer. How many of you are doers? You're just doers. Me too. That's my tendency. Just, just seeing, be still, almost makes me twitch. Because I'm a doer. I don't want, I've, sometimes I wonder if I've forgotten how to be still. Because there's, we're so much about doing. And yet we'll never truly, deeply know God the way He wants us to know unless we make space in our life to be still. See, there's some things that happen in the stillness. In silence, we begin to see ourselves more clearly and more accurately. We, we get a true picture of ourselves. Now, I love this painting, as I mentioned before, not only because of the path, but, but also because this lake that, that Peggy has painted here and created for us is so still. Do you notice that? The picture here is is just a, a very placid lake. No ripples, no wind blowing. If we could be there, how many of you like to be there? How many of you would go there if there was no snow? <laughs> okay, I know, it's like 75 today, it made that less appealing to be there. But if we could go there, and if we could stand on the shore of that lake and lean over and look into the water, we would see a pretty good reflection of our face we would see a pretty accurate reflection of ourselves. But you put, you put a speedboat on that lake, 
that starts spinning around and swirling that water up, or if the wind begins to blow and creates waves and ripples, and you look over the side at your reflection, your reflection is going to be very distorted. It's going to be difficult for you to see clearly the reflection of who you are. The same thing is true in our lives. When our lives get all swirled up, and there's ripples and there's noise, constant noise and constant activity, we don't see clearly. We have a distorted view of who we really are. That's a picture for some of us. For some of us in this room, the water never seems to get calm. There's always noise and chaos, and it's distorting the way we see ourselves. And this culture in which we live, in this culture, the drift will never be towards stillness. It will always be towards activity. That's the culture that we live in. But when we become still, we can begin to see ourselves for who we really are. And to be honest, the truth is that that's the reason that many of us avoid silence. It's because in silence we do begin to see ourselves for who we really are. I love what Dallas Willard said. Dallas Willard said silence is frightening because it strips us as nothing else does, throwing us upon the stark realities of our lives. It reminds us of death which will leave only us and God. And in the quiet, what if there turns out to be very little between us and God? Silence is uncomfortable. Silence is awkward because it's just us and God. And for some of us, we're not that comfortable with ourselves, not to mention being comfortable with God. In silence, we come face to face with who we really are and what's really in our heart and the layers of the image that we've tried to create and we work so hard to portray is stripped away. Those layers are stripped away and it becomes raw and it becomes real and we're face to face with the reality of who we are. We come face to face with all the stuff that we suppress and we disguise by all the noise. And so silence becomes a challenge. It's there we come face to face with our addictions and our dependencies and our craving for approval and acceptance and importance and reputation and the true motives behind what we do and why we do it and our self-centeredness and our selfish ambition. Yuck! Who wants that? And so many people never go there. Because silence can be somewhat of a painful process. But if you're willing to let God show you who you really are, then you'll begin to discover that none of that is news to him. He's not surprised by any of it. He's known it all along. And then you'll begin to discover that God loves you anyway. See, the you that God loves is the real you. You may have convinced yourself in your life that the people around you love the pretend you that you've become and the image that you portray. But I want you to know tonight, no matter who you are, the you that God loves is the real you. It's the you that exists when everyone else is gone and when there's silence. And when you come face to face with it, whether you like it or not, that's the you that God loves. And we come to a deeper understanding of that truth in those moments of stillness. And silence. See, part of knowing God more deeply is seeing ourselves more clearly and knowing the things in our lives that work against intimacy with Him. 
And that can't happen unless we make time for silence and stillness because intimacy requires authenticity and transparency. It's true in a marriage relationship. True intimacy will not be realized unless there is an authenticity about who we are with each other and a transparency. The same thing is true with God. So God says, be still. And then he says, and no. We're going to talk about those two words for just a couple of minutes. Be still and no. It's as we are still that the knowing really begins. The knowing begins in our stillness when we discipline ourselves to silence. If you will remember the end of that Living Brave series that we did and the interview with Nick Stevens, we've talked about it a few times, who lost his 20-year-old daughter Ligon, and part of that night was reading from journal entries that she had made. And what was most striking about those journal entries was the intimacy and the depth of the relationships she seemed to have with God. It was powerful. It was challenging. It was convicting. Now, think about where many of those journal entries were entered into that journal. They were on the side of a mountain somewhere or on top of a mountain. In the stillness. In the silence where it was Ligon and it was God. It was there that many of those Many of those entries made their way into that journal and the intimacy that was described out in the middle of God's wondrous creation. Stillness and silence position us to hear God's voice more clearly. Not only will we know ourselves more clearly, we begin to hear God and know God more clearly. In 1 Kings chapter 18, there is a, an incredible story. If you've grown up in church, you're familiar with it. I've grown up my whole life hearing this story. It's the story of Elijah who takes on 450 false prophets of Baal and he calls the whole nation of Israel together on top of Mount Carmel. And, and you know the story. They, they, they have a contest to cry out to their God and who, whichever God answers by fire is the true God. And, and to make a long story short, God demonstrates once and for all who the true God is by answering Elijah's prayer by fire and consuming the sacrifice, burning up the stones, even burning up all the water they had poured on it. An incredible story. And then Elijah takes out all those 450 false prophets. And then you know the story. Jezebel, a wicked queen, finds out about what Elijah did. And she commits herself, takes a vow to make sure that Elijah loses his head and Elijah runs for his life takes on 450 false prophets, basically single-handedly, and one out-of-control woman makes a threat, and Elijah's he's gone. He's running. I don't know, that sounds like wisdom to me. But So we pick up the story. I just want to read to you about th- this story, and I want, you to, I want you to see someone who's just done something incredible with God, but there's been a lot of noise. There's been a lot of chaos. There's been a lot going on in Elijah's life. And look at what happens in 1 Kings 19, verse 3. Follow along on the screen. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. There's the great man of God praying, just kill me. Now look at what he says to God. I have had enough, Lord. Have you ever said that? I have had it. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. 
All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. There he is, all by himself. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Here he goes. He's going to make his case again. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. What's he saying? I've had enough. You might as well kill me because they're going to do it anyway. Verse 11, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Now what the NIV translation translates as a gentle whisper, that word, those words literally mean a sound of soft stillness. That's what those words literally mean. Now God is certainly capable of the wind. He's certainly capable of the earthquake and the fire, but he most often reveals himself in a gentle whisper. The sound of soft stillness. Notice where Elijah was, by himself, in a cave, away from the noise of the crowds, alone with God. If we don't discipline ourselves to turn off the noise, we won't often hear him, and we won't go deeper with him. Be still and know that I am God. Let's talk about those words. Be still and know that I am God. I love the context of this psalm that we read earlier, just to remind us it began with saying God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And then he goes to that poetic, apocalyptic language to describe the ultimate calamity and chaos that could come on the earth, that the earth would give way and the mountains would fall into the sea and waters would foam and mountains would quake. And yet we will not fear because the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So it culminates towards the end of this song, be still and know that I am God. It's in our stillness. It's in disciplined silence that we come to know that He is God. Whatever chaos is swirling in your life, God says, do not fear. Instead, be still and just know that I am God. Just know that I am Elohim, Creator, Preserver, Transcendent, Mighty and Strong. Just know that I am El Shaddai, God Almighty, God All-Sufficient. Be still and know that I am Jehovah, the self-existent one, the I Am. Be still and know that I am Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. I am Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who is our banner. 
Be still and know that I am Jehovah Makadesh, the Lord who sanctifies, and Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, and Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, and Jehovah Rohi, the Lord our shepherd. And on and on and on we could go as we would walk through his word and see how the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God has revealed himself through his names to us in his word. But it is in those moments of silence, it is in stillness, the stillness of his presence, that those names go from being words on a page that we can't pronounce to describing a God that we know deeply, a God that we love intimately, and a God that we trust implicitly. It's in moments of stillness and silence that those names begin to describe our God who loves us and who wants to be known by us. And so we are invited to know Him deeply, to love Him intimately, to trust Him implicitly. I love this quote. It's not on the screen. It's by someone named M. Basil Pennington. And this is what it says. Listen closely. God is infinitely patient. He will not push Himself into our lives. He knows the greatest thing He has given us is our freedom. If we want habitually, even exclusively, to operate from the level of our own reason, he will respectfully keep silent. We can fill ourselves with our own thoughts, ideas, images, and feelings. He will not interfere. But if we invite him with attention, opening the inner spaces with silence, he will speak to our souls, not in words, or concepts, but in the mysterious way that love expresses itself by presence. By His presence. Last week, I was talking to Zita, who is one of our, our key leaders for Wednesday night, part of our creative team, about this message. And Zita is a nurse. She was a heart nurse for many, many years. And she was describing, and I will not be able to describe it the way she did, but she was describing how incredible the human heart is that pumps blood to our body, that, that life-giving blood that sustains life, and how complex this organ, the heart, really is. A heartbeat, just one heartbeat, seems like just one, just one simple event that takes place often, in, in our physical body, but it's really this incredible, intricate, and multifaceted series of actions that take place both inside the heart and around the heart. Every, every time our heart beat, it beats, it's a single cycle in which the four chambers of the heart relax and contract in this perfect synchronization while valves are opening and closing in this flawless timing. Every heartbeat is a cycle of all of that taking place. The heart has an electrical system that controls the speed and the rhythm of that heartbeat. Okay? And so when the heart's electrical system somehow gets disrupted, then signals, electrical signals can begin to originate from, from places they shouldn't originate, from deviant places around our heart, and they travel in this rapid, disorganized way, causing the heart to quiver chaotically. It's called, and I'm not sure I'm saying this right, but it's called atrial fibrillation, I think, or something like that. 
And, and basically, what that means is the upper and lower chambers of the heart, they're not working together like they should, and so the result is this irregular, ineffective pump, and our life becomes threatened. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. As it's beating erratically and inappropriately and, and disorganized and out of the synchronization the way it was intended, the rhythm that was intended for it to beat, as it's doing that, the best way, the most effective way to fix that problem is to actually shock the heart. And when you shock the heart, it momentarily stops the heart so that it can begin to beat normally again. And she was describing that. I thought, what an incredible picture of, of what happens in many of our lives. We become erratic. Our lives become filled with noise and activity and chaos. And we lose all the rhythm that God intended for our lives to have. And chaos seems to reign. And for some of us in this room tonight, the reality is we need to take those paddles and put them to our chest and yell clear and press the button and shock our heart. Shock our life. To just stop. To be still. Be still. And know that He is God. And from that knowing, not only that He is God, but He's your God. And He longs to be known deeply and intimately by you. From that place, you can begin to live your life the way God intended for you to live your life. It's from that place that we live a life that though the earth be moved, and though the mountains are cast into the sea, and though the water rages and foams, we will not fear. Because it's that God who's in control. And it's from that place of faith that we come to trust Him. If you say yes to that invitation, I want you to know you're in for a fight. Because everything in our culture will fight against silence. I, I was talking to Pastor Reza this week and he was sharing with me a week and a half ago in a discipleship class with young adults. He was describing... Uh, a challenge that he gave to those young adults. And that challenge was for them to fast all media for a week. You know, in our culture, that, that maybe is a more difficult fast than fasting food, a traditional fast, to fast media. And, and it was interesting, just the stories of what happened as people for a week turned all that stuff off except for what they had to use for work or for school. One of the guys, he said, came up to him and, and said, you know, we're right in the middle of the NBA playoffs. And he said, I didn't watch 82 regular season games so I could miss the playoffs. And Reza said, don't worry, it'll, you know, playoffs will go into June. He said, not if you're a Nugget fan. So, but we're proving them wrong. We're going into June. I just, I just want to challenge you. What do you need to do to create space in your life for silence? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the next couple of minutes just a couple of minutes, but it's going to seem like an eternity because we're just going to be silent. And in that silence, I want you to do two things. There's a book written by Ruth Haley Barton called An Invitation to Solitude and Silence. And in that book, she describes a process of taking an envelope. And we have, we have put that envelope in your bulletin. You should have received an envelope as well as a, a little piece of paper. And here's what I want you to do, because this is something that will assault those moments of silence for you. All of the stuff that consumes our minds, our thoughts, the things we fret about, the things we worry about, the things that create anxiety in our lives. I want you to take a moment. When we 
go quiet to do two things. I want you to, if you didn't get an envelope, our ushers are prepared. You can just hold up your hand and they'll get you one. What I want you to do is I want you to write. Go ahead there, Chris, come on down here. We have a few that don't have um, an envelope. What I want you to do is on the little piece of paper is I want you to write out those things. And you can just use one word if you want or just, you know, maybe it's several words. What are the things that are consuming your thoughts and mind that have created panic, anxiety, fear, whatever it might be? And then I want you to slip it into the envelope. And on the outside of that envelope, I want you to just write the word trust. Trust. As a symbol, a symbol of you saying, God, I'm going to trust you with this stuff. You are my refuge. You are my strength. You're my ever-present help in trouble. And so I'm putting this on a paper and I'm slipping it in this envelope. And by doing so, I'm saying, God, I trust you with this stuff. Now let me find a place of silence where I can know you more deeply. And then I want to invite you just to be still. And if you would like in the journal that we passed out a couple of weeks ago that you have or in your bulletin where if you don't have a journal or whatever, let God just talk to your heart. If you want to write in that journal, if you want to just be completely still and not write anything. We're just going to take a couple of minutes and be still in his presence. Did everybody get that envelope? Are we good with that? Okay, let's just be silent. I'm going to ask the ushers to come at this time and prepare to serve us the emblems of communion. You don't have to be a member to receive communion. We invite you to partake with us if you have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. If you're not comfortable receiving communion, you can let the elements pass by. But if you would hold them till everyone's been served, and I'll come back, we'll receive them together. But as they're being distributed, I want you to listen 
to the words of this powerful song that Kevin's going to sing for us. Be still and know that I am God. So listen to these words as Kevin comes. All right. stillness of this moment holding the emblems that represent what it costs you to invite us there is no way we could know deep intimate relationship with you in the state that we were in because you are indeed holy and we are not our lives are marred by sin and so you paid a price the ultimate price of your son all so that you could send us an invitation inviting us to know you to experience you to walk with you to know your life in us it's overwhelming really when we think about it and so tonight as we hold these emblems our heart the posture of our heart is yes it's to say yes to you to your invitation to be disciplined about creating space to know you more deeply to be silent in your presence to allow your presence to do what words cannot do to change us to transform us Lord for those who just can't seem to find a way to see their way clear in their lives because it's so filled with chaos. Would you help them creatively to be able to find spaces to just be alone with you, to be still, to know that you are God. Thank you for loving us the way you have, not just telling us, but demonstrating it in the life of your son. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing your body to be broken and your blood to be shed that we could have life. Let's receive the bread together. prioritize our lives in a way that fosters knowing you more deeply and more intimately I pray in Jesus name God I before we go I I just want to pray for people in this room who the key for them this whole night has been that you are a refuge and our strength that you are ever present in our times of trouble because they're facing things that are huge, overwhelming, devastating. God, if nothing else tonight, could they leave this room with a newfound hope and faith 
that even in the midst of their chaos, you are a strong refuge who gives us strength and who is ever present to help. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. Bless you. We have a prayer team. If you would like prayer, someone to take your hand and pray with you, that's what they are called by God to do. It's their ministry. They would love to meet you up here and pray with you. Otherwise, you can consider yourself dismissed. God bless you as you go. Thank you for coming tonight.